0: Welcome to The Ripcord Moment, a podcast focused on empowering owners to optimize the outcome of their business succession plan and achieve their perfect landing. For most owners, the majority of their net worth is tied up in their business. And yet many struggle to create a plan that maximizes the value of their business with their personal financial plan. As a seasoned advisor for over 20 years, I help guide owners through the exit planning process with both their personal and professional goals in mind. When it comes to succession planning, there are numerous factors that play a role in passing the reins to the next owner of a business. And in this podcast, we showcase the owners and their team of trusted advisors that have navigated these challenges, structured successful deals, and ultimately achieved their perfect landing. Welcome to the Ripcord Moment. I'm your host, Joe C2. Today, I'm joined by Meredith Sesser of Sesser Law. She's one of the nation's leading authorities in employee, employee benefits law and ERISA law. She's got over 20 years of experience working with businesses and nonprofit organizations. So she often is brought in with companies to help them prepare, implement, uh, do the operational due diligence, and also termination of retirement plans. These could be uh, cash balance plans, defined benefit plans, your typical 401k profit sharing plans, and also 403b plans. She also specializes in dealing with controversies related to Department of Labor matters and IRS matters related to these plans. So in addition to uh, working with the employers, she also helps employees understand their benefit claims. And she's really the go-to lawyer for third-party administrators who help uh, administer retirement plans. Uh, Meredith, welcome to the Ripcord Moment. I'm really excited about our discussion today.
1: Thanks for having me this morning. It's always good to see you.
0: Great to see you. So you have a really sort of niche practice, highly specialized at the intersection of law and these retirement plans. Uh, Obviously, it's such a specialized area, a lot of law that um, goes into it. You have to really know here. What are the common operational failures or situations that come up that you notice when a company is thinking about selling?
1: So, yeah, I am a lawyer that practices in the area of retirement plans, which is governed by ERISA. And people might have heard of ERISA before. And that was passed in 1974. It's the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And those are really complicated rules which govern these retirement plans. So when a company is going to sell, I often get brought in to do a review of the retirement plans. And I tend to see the same failures over and over again. One of the most common failures in let's say a 401k is when the employer withholds the money from somebody's paycheck to put in the 401k. Yep. For whatever the reason, it just doesn't make it to the plan. And I don't know how that happens, but sometimes it comes out of the payroll and it will sometimes end up in the company's account because they need the money. Or sometimes it ends up in just a checking account and not the 401k plan account. And so those are what we call missing deferrals or late deposits. And those are very common in 401ks, unfortunately. Really?
0: Okay. Yes.
1: You would think if you're running payroll, it's really simple to just withhold the money and remit. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Maybe someone in HR forgot or they were on vacation and they took the money out, but never sent it to the plan.
0: And is this real quick to interrupt uh, Meredith or jump in here? But is this like with typically just more like startup type companies or smaller companies? I mean, I would think larger, well-established companies, that this wouldn't be a common issue, but maybe that's not the case. It
1: happens. I actually have um, a car dealership client and he has a couple car dealerships and it happened there. And I asked, how did the money go in late? Well, they had a change in the HR department and the new Mm -hmm. person didn't know that was their job and they were to do it, or they didn't know where to send it. So it went through payroll, but it didn't go somewhere. So once it gets automated, it's pretty simple. But for whatever reason, this failure happens a lot in large plans as well as small plans when maybe the owner of the business is the one who's responsible and he just gets too busy and doesn't click send.
0: Yeah, so it
1: does happen.
0: You bring up an interesting point because you said the word automate once it's automated. Right. And so that's one of the issues I think many owners go through as they grow a business right? They're doing oftentimes things that are so manual. And if it lives in their head or it lives in the HR person's head and they don't communicate that clearly, or it's not a process that's in place that it's documented, errors occur. And that- errors
1: occur. And back in the day before, you know, the internet people, the business owner would actually write a check and put it in the mail and mail the 401k deposit in. And Department of Labor said, it's got to be in in a week. Well, with today's mail, it may not, if someone mails it, it may not come in in a week. And therefore you have to have automated systems and sometimes they fail. And that's one of the failures we see on 401k plans. Um, Another failure that we see would be where a company thinks their plan says one thing and they're doing something that's not really in the plan. So I had a client, an engineer client who sold his business because he was retiring He and his partners, and they were being bought out by another company much larger that really did their due diligence and reviewed everything. And they found some employees who were actually in the plan and the plan document did not provide for them to be in the plan. They shouldn't they, have been in
0: the plan. They were enrolled, but they should not have been in the plan right. based on the guidelines of how the plan was written.
1: Yes. And I have also seen the reverse where people exclude employees from the plan mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, they're part time or they only came in, you know, I paid them hourly or, or whatnot. And so they excluded them, but they should have been in the plan. So, so those are mistakes you can so- find.
0: Now, let's take that a a level deeper, which is, what is the impact that this has on the business owner? What sort of liability do they face? What penalties are they dealing with for being out of compliance?
1: So being out of compliance means a few things. One, there's a cost to correct. So in the case of not putting someone in a plan who should have been, the IRS requires the employer to come up with the money to put in for that employee. And so there's a cost to that, plus interest on the late money that should have gone in. Um, There can also be excise taxes if the IRS says it's prohibited. The worst case could be the IRS says the 401k plan is not even qualified and all the money is taxable. Oh, wow. Yes, that would be the rate worst rate. case scenario. Yeah. And you don't see it often, but that's because people fix the problems. So when okay. you're going to market to sell, you want to see these problems and know what's my exposure, what's my liability, what kind of penalties am I looking at, and things wow. like that. So therefore, you would know this is my company may not be worth what I think it is if I owe a million dollars to my 401k. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, so you, 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 this is a great segue to the next question, which is what sort of pre due diligence, right? Should the owner themselves do on their retirement plans ahead of the transaction? Because a savvy buyer is going to look at their potential exposure here.
1: Yes. So generally, the buyer has counsel and they're going to ask for a slew of documents and they're going to look at it and look for any area of exposure. In terms of a participant suing in terms of the irs or department of labor assessing penalties and they're going to try anything to look for anything that's wrong that's Mm going to cost them money down the road may not be an issue today and maybe the irs didn't catch them yet but if they get caught it's going to cost money and nobody wants to buy a company unless they're aware of these issues so what we recommend is that before you go to market the, bo- the seller should do a due diligence review, hire an ERISA lawyer, get all the paperwork together, look at it and see what's going on. No different than a wealth manager would want to look at the assets of a company, you,
0: right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you're saying essentially do an audit. Audit do the plan. Audit the plan. Do, a, do, a, do an audit of the plan to make sure there's not hidden errors that are going to come back to maybe blow up the deal or if the deal gets done come back to be, uh, you know, some sort of liability that's hanging over exactly. uh, the seller. Um now
1: personally, as, as an ERISA lawyer and not an M&A lawyer, I would hate for a 401k plan to blow up a deal going through. And right. so my goal is always to find a way to make sure this deal goes through and take the 401k out of the picture. So often you can say, you know what, we're going to terminate it before we close, you know, sell the company. We're going to fix it before we sell the company. Mm -hmm. We're going to spin it off to another company so it's not the buyer's problem. So there's ways to deal with it if you know it's there.
0: So you bring up an interesting point this idea of having to deal with it and some of the remedies there, like maybe going and terminating the plan. But with what has been passed in California with the new requirements for businesses through like the CalSavers program to offer mandatory retirement plans for uh, for businesses to their employees, how does how does an owner navigate potentially shutting down their plan? While they're thinking about selling their business, but still be in compliance with the Cal new California Savers.
1: laws. Yes, it's it's interesting. We, we sold a company or I was involved with the sale of a company this year and the client did not have a retirement plan, which, as you know, in California, they needed to have one and should have signed up for Cal Savers. Mm-hmm. So we immediately got them enrolled and started the plan so <laughs> they could, at least when they sold, say that they had it. So if you're going to terminate a plan prior to close, then there needs to be something in place that these employees are going to go into, whether immediate next payroll is the buyer's plan. So they're covered or maybe you set them up with Cal Savers. California just requires any retirement plan, whether it's theirs or a right. Controlled group or a parent company, but you have to offer something. Right now, five and more employees.
0: Is there a grace period between a, in the in the example here, where one company is being bought by another? You're shutting the plan down i um, beyond one payroll period. I mean, are you allowed a 30-day grace period or a 60-day grace period? Or, or Cal no?
1: Savers has not addressed it as to what period of time you can be without a plan. Okay. But typically, if you had a plan, you would have filed with Cal Savers to say I'm exempt meaning I don't have to do Cal Savers because I have my own plan. Now, the employees are going to switch payroll. They may have to wait 30, 60 days to be eligible for the buyer's plan. So that would be legitimate if they have to wait a, a waiting period.
0: You're saying the the the, you would be covered, they would be okay in that. Yes, because the
1: word is not participating from Cal Mm -hmm. Savers, the word is that they have to have the opportunity or to participate. So if they're going to be offered the plan at some later date, Mm -hmm. 30 days, 60 days, that would be sufficient for Cal Savers, I would think. Yeah.
0: In addition to sort of the audit that we just talked about, what are there any other due diligence steps head of the transaction owners should be contemplating on this matter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the 401 case. In the reps and warranties and the sales agreement, they will ask about all retirement plans, non-qualified retirement plans, okay. types of money you might have said to your employee, your head of your company, if I ever sell, you're going to get this big payout. That could be considered deferred compensation. If somebody is going to get... Um, certain health benefits they want to know about health benefits premiums so it's all benefit plans that need to be looked at that the M&A lawyer should request and have an ERISA lawyer review so okay. it's quite, quite a bit that's it's usually only a page and a half of a hundred pages of the agreement however it's an important page and a half to read of all benefits
0: and when are you it sounds like you're collaborating oftentimes with the, um, the, the transaction attorneys during Absolutely. the deal to um, help form the reps and warranties. Is that a Absolutely. correct? Setup? Yeah.
1: So the way that these things work is that the MA lawyer brings in me as a ERISA counsel to look at the benefits section and right. they bring an employment lawyer to look at the labor and employment section and sometimes we'll cross paths. You know, if somebody is a 1099 but should have been maybe a W-2 employee, What does that mean from an employment standpoint? And then what does that mean for the 401k? Should they have been offered the 401k and they weren't? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of issues that can come up. And the employer doesn't always know they did anything wrong. It's just how they do business.
0: Yeah. They've got a gazillion things going on. They're assuming, you know, they meet with their third-party administrator uh, once a year or the email and they yeah. think, you know, they've got an HR person who's handling all that. They think they're in compliance. They think it's covered. Yeah, they think they're covered. And
1: it's yeah. not until you go to sell the company and you audit your plan that yeah. you sometimes find these these nuances that yeah. people just don't know. And, the and laws
0: change over time, right? And, the yeah. laws
1: change. Yeah. Sometimes someone, you know, the buyer will ask for an amendment and the employer never did it because they just mm-hmm. didn't know. No one gave it to them. Or maybe, okay. the, you know, little things. There's, there could be little things that come up.
0: So let, let's, I think we've talked about the due diligence ahead of time. We understand your role in working with the attorneys during the transaction. Let's imagine there is some sort of big red flag in the negotiations while the transaction is going on. What are some of the um, tools in your toolkit uh, that you bring to the table to help get, uh, you know, help get the buyer off the hook or get it ready. There's remedied. several,
1: yeah. There's several. You have to have something in your back pocket to make sure this deal goes through. That's yeah. my goal. And one right now, the employer has a pension and a profit sharing plan, and because of the market, the assets have gone down quite a bit. Yeah. And he's not in cash. He's in the market, sure. and he's about nine hundred thousand dollars short in the plan.
0: Meaning it's and underfunded by that underfunded,
1: amount, underfunded okay. about nine hundred thousand, yeah. and so we're adding in um, a rep and warranty that says it will be held in escrow because we can't pinpoint the money. If if the assets go up, maybe that nine hundred goes down to eight hundred. Okay. But if the assets go down, he may be on the hook for more, and the buyer doesn't want to be sure. on the hook for that. That was that. his plan. Yeah. So we'll put in escrow a little bit more
0: okay. and make
1: a deal that says, he'll fund this thing," and it's his responsibility.
0: And are you carrying back some sort of, is there like a note that's attached there?
1: Yeah, it's in it's an escrow when it's on writing that says okay. he will get back the difference. And okay. if we estimated wrong, he's liable to fund that, that amount because these were his plans and they don't want them.
0: But our, I guess my question is, are they, in an example like this, is the, the seller required to fund escrow 100% by the closing?
1: He is. and okay. we will have it we will have it in escrow by the closing, okay. which will hopefully be in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, that's a simple thing to fix. The harder ones are when you need IRS approval. And so often what will happen is we will go to the IRS and say, we screwed up. We know we screwed up. We're coming to you before you catch us, and we want to fix this. And for a small fee of maybe $3,000, you can enter what they call a voluntary correction program, okay. and the will will look at your mistake and how you propose to fix it and say yes or no. And then that will give the client a letter that says, yeah, you fixed the plan. You're in compliance.
0: Let me just pause you there real quick because this sounds a little more complicated. Is that a situation where you're making that recommendation or is the buyer imposing this on the seller as a condition for closing? How does that work?
1: Usually it works both ways. Often the buyer will say, we know you have this liability okay, and therefore we want you to go fix it. And so we'll propose it and say, we want your sale to go through, so we will go fix it. You know, sometimes it's as silly as I've had a client that didn't, they had multiple companies and one of the companies forgot to sign the plan document, but yet their employees were in the plan. To be in a plan, you have to actually adopt it and sign it. It could be as silly as they didn't sign it. They just never, nobody told them they had to sign it. So we would go to the IRS and say, We're sorry, but we have this subsidiary. They're in our 401k and they never signed it. We're going to sign it now five years late. Is that okay? And -hmm. they say, yes, sign it now five years late. Now we fix the problem and the buyer's happy because the problem's fixed. If you didn't fix it, then the IRS could argue they should have never been in the 401k because they never signed it. So now you have five years of contributions that weren't allowed. Oh, because this client didn't sign the plan. Happens with a lot of times with doctors, if they hire a new partner
0: mm-hmm. and the new
1: partner is incorporated. So you've got a partnership of medical corporations. And now a new doctor comes on, a new partner, and he wants to be in the plan and contribute, but he doesn't sign up for it. He doesn't adopt it officially, but yet he's putting money in.
0: That's we have to have really good third party administrators. Yes. Right.
1: And you have to call them to tell them we have and a new. Well,
0: there's got to be communication between yes, the client it's and it's their, their advisors. Best. Absolutely. Yes.
1: The yeah. administrator's like, I had no idea you had sure. a new partner. Yeah. And then if I knew, I would have given you the papers. Yeah. But they don't always know. And okay. so basically, that, that can be fixed. And a buyer is going to see that right away I, that, you know, it's missing.
0: Have you seen um, a situation where, The errors were so, I guess, egregious or they were just so bad that it actually blew up a deal, an acquisition or sale or close? I I
1: did have a bookstore. It was a small bookstore owned by an individual and she was retiring Mm -hmm. and she had a pension plan. And for whatever reason, there was the liability, if I recall, was $7 million. So that was a huge Mm -hmm. amount of money that this pension had $7 million owed to it. And the deal was off the table. They said there's no way. And so we ended up being able to use another corporation of hers to take that plan. Okay. So that when the company was bought out, there was no plan anymore. And we dealt with it somewhere else. So mm. she funded over time. Okay. But almost off the table as soon as the buyer heard that number, because that's a huge liability to take on for a bookstore or for any company for that matter.
0: Well, you know, you bring up the word liability, which I want to pivot to our next question, which is: we talked a little bit about fees and penalties, but what kind of exposure um, does a company have for these failures related to a retirement plan? Because the the owner is a fiduciary, correct? Absolutely. Right to the plan. So, yeah, let me you turn have it fiduciary
1: over you. liability.
0: Okay. Um,
1: you have fiduciary liability for choosing investments. If you're choosing bad investments, sometimes mm-hmm. clients go outside the funds and buy. Startups or real estate or things that just tank that they didn't look into, but their next-door neighbor said it was a good investment, so they relied on them and bought it. So you're fiduciary to that and could right. be liable for losses. Uh-huh. Um, I have a guy now who's liable for $450,000 in investments he made with everybody's money that he never really researched, and it didn't perform. And it's been 10 years, and it's earned zero. It's wow. worth it. So he had to restore that um, there's liability that was,
0: it a DB or a DC type plan. That, if a you don't profit sh- it.
1: that was a profit sharing plan. Was it? Okay. Yeah. It, and it just, you know, about a million in assets and he took half and loaned it to startups that just never performed. Wow. Um, yeah. And you can also be liable criminally, which is shocking because you wouldn't think 401k in criminal, but I do have clients that if they steal money from the plan, Mm -hmm. So they're taking it out of 401k accounts because they're the trustee and maybe using it personally. That's theft. Or if you refuse to pay employees because you don't like them. Sometimes people say, well, this employee stole from me, so I'm not going to pay them their benefits. And if you don't pay them and take their money, that can be theft also. So there's all different liabilities, whether it's monetary or criminal or fiduciary breaches. So even though it's just a 401k, it's it's a big deal and oh, it's it, got yeah. liability with it.
0: I mean, ERISA law is very nuanced, very specialized. Yes. It's certainly, I think, an area of the law that when they put it in place in the 70s, was really to protect um, employees, and so I think that speaks to what you're talking about. That yes, uh, it's about the
1: employees.
0: Yeah, and we exactly. don't want to
1: steal from the employees. We want to protect the employees. We want to invest their money prudently, prudently. and we want it there when they retire. Yeah,
0: yeah. well, we, you know, Meredith, we uh, gosh, our time goes by so quick here. We uh, we call this the ripcord moment because I'm a firm believer that. When an owner goes to uh, sell their business or some sort of succession event that it is a a once-in-a-lifetime event for most owners not all unless you're a serial entrepreneur and it's like uh, that ripcord just can't fail Uh, and this is certainly an aspect of um, their business that impacts not only them but their employees their their staff so what are two takeaways that every owner should contemplate doing sooner than later uh, if they're going to have some sort of succession event
1: So two takeaways as an ERISA lawyer to a a seller is engage ERISA counsel just to do that due diligence review so that you can make sure there aren't any liabilities or fiduciary breaches or unknown costs or something hanging out there that's not in order. Because if you can do it before you go to market, it can be fixed. And when the buyer comes in, they're not going to see anything. They'll see that there was a mistake and it was fixed.
0: And let me ask you on that, because I know one common thing I hear from owners all the time is I've got a million things to do. This yes. is not the top of my priority list. You know, we have an HR, whatever. You hear all the excuses. But so just maybe quantify for the audience, like what, you know, what does an audit take in terms of roughly the amount of time? So
1: generally, I have someone set up a Dropbox and just throw everything 401k, pension, profit sharing, retirement related in there. And that's all they have to do. That's all they have to do. Just throw all that in there, even if it's more than you think. And then as a lawyer, I can go through everything and it may only take a few hours to go through it and pinpoint something that I see that this doesn't look right. right. And if it doesn't look right, then it can trigger more questions.
0: Yeah, But so, what you know, I'm
1: seeing is what the buyer is going to see, right?
0: Absolutely, I'm looking yeah.
1: at the same thing. So, absolutely.
0: yeah. Now where I'm going with this is, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it well, it very well may be not as onerous uh, of an audit that they might yes. think. You know, sometimes people hear the word audit and they're thinking this is going to take weeks and hours and you know too much of my time, and it. Um, Uh, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention could be worth, uh, you know, a pound of of (laughs) money (laughs)
1: Money. later on.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one. Yeah. Your second takeaway. The
1: second one would be is that once you do that due diligence review, if there is a problem that you find or an operational failure, fix it and take care of it before you go to market that way way it's fixed. And it's going to cost a lot less later on if somebody sees it. It's always better for the client to go, and say I made a mistake, than for the IRS to catch it later.
0: Yeah, All you right.
1: know the sanctions are much more later on. You know, a few thousand dollars to fix a mistake versus twenty five thousand later is a big difference. Yeah,
0: that's a so those are
1: my two takeaways. Okay,
0: Meredith, that's sound advice from a true expert. Really appreciate you taking the time today to be with us and explain, uh, you know, some of the nuances related to retirement plans and and the RISA law that. Many owners are going to have to deal with. So, um, thanks so much for
1: having me. Joe. And real
0: quick, before I before I let you go, I was noticing the art behind you. Uh, <laughs> I love it. To Thank give you. Give us a little bit sort of a background on what that is.
1: I love it. I have absolutely no idea what it is, but I thought that it looked nice on the wall behind me. So
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
1: Maybe it actually means something. Not sure. We'll we'll no. figure that out next time.
0: That sounds good. That's uh, that's great. Well, we're going to go and sign off from the ripcord moment. I'm Joe C2, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.